Hello, and welcome to our first Monday Chatter Check-In. I'm Paige. And I'm Anna. And we cannot wait to bring you up to date. So before we begin, we're going to be shameless and ask that you follow us on Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can find us everywhere at Curated Chatter. Um, so yeah, Monday Chatter Check-Ins are formatted as a quick update to what you missed over the weekend are related. We're going to curate three need-to-know or interesting headlines so you have something exciting to share during your Monday lunch breaks. So you can impress all your friends and co-workers. So Paige and I had an exciting week last week. Um, we went to the Guggenheim members opening and we listened to a couple of art webinars, but also we went apple picking in Connecticut. It's the first time Paige has gone apple picking. I grew up in LA. It's not my fault. We have no seasons. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, it's exciting to see New York reopening. Definitely. I'm interested to hear what you thought about our Guggenheim visit because we went to MoMA a few weeks ago mm-hmm. and had the most amazing time. It was so empty, which is obviously not great news for the museum because they have limited capacity. It's not their fault. Yeah. But we had the most amazing experience just being really alone in the museum compared to the Guggenheim where I did feel like it was more crowded. Okay, since we're members and we got to go early access, we went the first day it reopened, like as the members preview, and we went on like the first time slot. So I was like, it's a weekday, it's gonna be empty, like no one's gonna be there. And then it just like felt super crowded. It wasn't crowded and I did not feel unsafe. Yeah, like, we wanna emphasize yeah. that we all had masks on. It was yeah. not unsafe in any way. It was just more crowded. Yeah, than then MoMA. And MoMA was probably my best museum experience to date which as you said is probably not great for the museum financially but it's great for the people like going for sure um but no yeah I thought the Guggenheim was actually going to be very different than what it was like I was a little underwhelmed and like unimpressed mostly because we saw the countryside exhibit that's currently up right now before the pandemic and we went to the opening for yeah, it. Yeah, I think it was the last big like museum event we went to yeah. pre-pandemic before yeah, I think we went it was. home. I mean, we also went to the International Art Fair, like, right before. But they we went were, like, home. around the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. I didn't really want to... S- it's not that I didn't like the countryside exhibit, because I did. But I just thought that since they were reopening, something new would be up. And, like, they did have a couple of new exhibits. Like, they have a Jackson Pollock and, like, yeah, like 1960s exhibit. Yeah, it was, like, after yeah. 1960s paintings. And mm-hmm. both exhibits were great, but they were just smaller. Yeah. I thought they were honestly going to... That was what was in the museum, in the museum right now. Like, I didn't realize the, yeah. it was still going on. Yeah, but also something super interesting to note is that during members' openings, there were protests outside yes, of the museum, but I, we missed those. We missed the protests. Yeah. We did not see the protests, but I saw the articles mm-hmm. about the protests after the fact, yes. which is interesting. It's a really hard time for museums right now. I agree. I think they're all struggling, and they're trying to navigate it the best that they can. I agree. Should we get into our first headline, which is also museum-related? Yes. So our first headline of this episode comes to us from Artnet, where it was reported that, quote, the Whitney Museum has delayed its ever controversial biennial to 2022 due to the lockdown era. So the 80th Whitney Biennial is now slated to run from April through August of 2022, which feels so far away Mm -hmm. right now. For our audience members who don't know, every two years, the biennial takes over much of the Whitney Museum, with a survey that's meant to reflect the social, political, and cultural moment. And as a result of the nearly six-month closures at the museum, they've been forced to reassess their entire timeline. So that's 
why the biennials yeah. also being delayed. Well, I interned as a, um, I was a curatorial, in- curatorial intern somewhere else. Um, and while I was interning there, I didn't realize like curators spent years planning one exhibit. Yeah. So I cannot imagine all of the work that they are going to have, they're, they're doing right now to like reschedule all of, the, all of these things that were supposed to open, but now can't open. And like now they have to like push back exhibits or like, completely eliminate some exhibits they had planned which is so sad because so much work goes into planning a single exhibition and I think what's most fascinating about this Mm -hmm. being postponed is that the biennial is really reflective of the moment in which it occurs so if it's occurring at a different moment the Mm -hmm. art is going to be completely different who knows where the world is going to be in 2022 yeah exactly I agree um I actually took a class on the Whitney Biennial last year, like this time last year. I remember. Yeah. No, it was not on the Whitney Biennial. Scratch that. It was just on biennials and the Whitney Biennial was going on. So I really focused on the Whitney Biennial. So I saw it a bunch of times and like the Whitney does have, the Whitney Biennial does have a reputation of being very political and like um, a lot of the things last year were related to ICE and like immigration camps and things like that that were going on and obviously the upcoming election. So who knows what like the next biennial will look like and what the types of work in the biennial will be like, especially because with COVID shutdowns too, like artists have had to, you know, reimagine the way in which they create art. And I think for the most part, the timeline has been supported by the artists who are trying to participate because they've experienced limited access to working spaces and materials this is actually something that we discuss in our interview with the artist caviar which will be dropping this friday i believe yes and we just talk about how he as an artist dealt with the pandemic and was able to work with new mediums Mm -hmm. for example he painted on plywood covering the puma store yeah Yeah, so it's very interesting and like I know a couple of other artists who decided to stop producing new work because they felt like it was too overwhelming and they just need to take a step back. So I think everyone just needs this delay in the biennial just to and I think it's gonna be really exciting to see what happens in Mm -hmm. 2022 like it really is something to look forward to. I agree. Time flies so (laughs) it will be here before we know it. Mm -hmm. Should we move on? Yeah, let's do it. The second headline comes from Art News, who shared that, quote, led by Ramazi, Basquiat and Warhol Works, Keith Haring Collection sale nets impressive $4.6 million. So last month, the Keith Haring Foundation announced a major sale of works from the artist's estate at Sotheby's, benefiting the New York LGBTQ organization, The Center. The sale was titled Dear Keith, works from the personal collection of Keith Haring and consisted of 144 lots, which is actually like... That's a a lot. lot Yeah. So the works for sale were interesting because they were traded personally between Mm -hmm. Herring and other members of the East Village art scene in the 1980s. Yeah, no, it's crazy. And I think all of the lots in the collection sold. Yeah. So every and they all sold and there was no reserve for any of it, which which is is insane because usually like during a an auction sale like not all the um work sell yeah and I think people don't actually realize this because I know I didn't until I interned at mm-hmm. an auction house they kind of try and keep it on the DL yeah when, when something doesn't, doesn't sell, sell. Because they yes. move so fast you don't mm-hmm. realize it yeah no but I think this is a great auction because it was for charity and it was a great cause and I actually have a personal experience with um auctions for charity my high school 
which was an old girls boarding school, had a sale to celebrate um, their anniversary last year. And it was an auction that was for women by women. So all of the artists in the auction were um, women artists. Yeah, which we love. We love. Um, And it was all to benefit the school. And so I think it's really great when auction houses like do sales like this that benefit uh, an important cause. Yeah. And I also think this connects to the hip hop memorabilia auction that Sotheby's held a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. where like the headline of this sale was that they sold the notorious B.I.G.'s plastic crown for yes. almost over half a million. Yeah, over half dollars, a million dollars, which is crazy because it was worth six dollars. <laughs> yes, but it's this interesting relationship between like the owners of the work mm-hmm. of art and people buying it really are interested in the history of yes. the work. Uh, yeah, I agree. It's really cool and really interesting. And I love to um, see things like this happening. But bringing it back to the herring sale, I tuned in for a Sotheby's webinar on the sale last Friday. And the person leading the webinar actually knew herring personally. And I just thought that was actually so cool because sometimes these artists like feel so removed from us from a different time period especially in Manhattan like Basquiat studio is now in like one of the most popular neighborhoods in New York City and I just or in Manhattan I just can't imagine like an artist studio there right now you know like most of the artists have moved to Queens or Brooklyn it's so crazy to think that we're walking in the same places that they were exactly so this was very interesting and um obviously I'm really glad that they we're able to raise that much money for a great cause. It's amazing. So our third and final headline of the day comes to us courtesy of the New York Times, where it was disclosed that, quote, Frick announces plans for its two-year stay at the Breuer Building. So the building is owned by the Whitney Museum of Art and was most recently occupied by the Met. The Breuer will allow the Frick to continue exhibitions while its 1914 Gilded Age mansion on Fifth Ave undergoes renovation. Um, okay, first of all, I have something to say. I love the Breuer building. It's one of my favorite buildings in New York, but I also love Flora Bar, their restaurant under Flora the Bar building. Flora Bar has my favorite burger in New York. Yeah, it's my second favorite. My favorite one is Postis, just putting that out there. But we highly but, recommend. Yeah, um, so I hope um, now that the break is like moving in and all of that they will reopen because they're currently closed and we're desperate <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but no this is super interesting I think um the Frick has this since it's been in the house and like the collection like hasn't moved I think it's the first time it's moving somewhere else yeah um I think it'll be interesting to see the works in a new space yeah and I wonder how people are going to respond because mm-hmm. I know that there was a lot of backlash people in New York do not like construction we hate construction <laughs> we hate it in front of our building so I get it the sidewalk <laughs> no matter where you are there's just too much construction always mm-hmm. so I think this is a really great opportunity to re-examine the collection in a new space so yes. hopefully people will get over the construction yeah exactly um but also like aside from that I think the frick since Obviously, since it was a house and it was like used by the people who lived there, um, a lot of the works were on the second floor, but now the second floor is offices, so a lot of the works are in storage. And um, I think the having a bigger space will allow the Frick to put 
works up that haven't been yeah. on display. One point the article made was that all 14 paintings of Fragonard's Progress of Love series are going to be able to be on display for the first time. I am so excited for that. It's going to be amazing mm-hmm. to see. So that's one positive of the collection moving is I think people don't realize how much artwork museums have in storage. Yes, they just yes. think what's on the walls like mm-hmm. that's it. So it's going to be nice and exciting to see things that we haven't seen before because the Frick as an institution just does not really change. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's also a reason why they struggle a bit to get new people in because like there are only so many times you can't, it's a beautiful space. I love going, but also there are so many times you can see it and like not feel like you're just like looking at the same thing over and over again. And I don't know, it's hard when other museums around the city have so many new exhibits all the time, Yeah, you know? It's also going to be really interesting to see like more Rococo work yeah, and yeah. in this more modern building. building yeah. Like the juxtaposition of the two is going to be really yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think the curators have an interesting task. Yeah, <laughs> I'm very excited to see it. Um, but yeah, I don't have anything yeah, else to say. I think that's it. So thank you so much for tuning in. We're looking forward to our inaugural Thursday Top 5 episode dropping this Thursday. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.